Good morning. When I was uh, selecting my wardrobe this morning, I was asked why. <laughs> and I figured if you start to kind of wander, you can just lock our eyes on our little friend here. Because who wouldn't want to see a little bulldog with human eyes? I know it's kind of weird, but that's just who I am, so you'll just have to live with that. So, yes, if you start to look around the room, hopefully you'll lock eyes here and come back up here. So my name is Aaron. I'm one of the, uh, one of the, one of the people that hang around here, one of the many people that hang around here. And um, just oftentimes I get to kind of come up here and, and share some things. And uh, so I was here last week and uh, here this week as well. So um, we're going to talk about uh, something that happened to me quite a while ago when I was a teenager, uh, a, a later teenager. So growing up, uh, my friend Matt had a room in his house that was off bounds to anyone other than important guests. And we, I'll call this, I'm not sure if there's an actual room that Matt's family called this, but we, whenever we went to Matt's house, we all called this the perfect room. And it was called that because there wasn't a single thing out of place in this room. The carpets always seemed brand new, and I don't know if it's a thing anymore, we don't have carpets in our house, but um, when I was growing up, people used to rug their, uh, rake their carpets. Is that still a thing? <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, they used to rake their, that you could get like a carpet rake, because they used to rake their, their carpets to make it look, uh, to make it look always brand new. The couch was very stiff, and it never had a stain on it. Matt had a dog, but there was never any dog hair on the couch. The pillows were all neat and tidy. They were also very stiff on the couch. The bookshelves in this room had no dust on them. And the little trinkets on the end tables were always just sort of frozen in time. Old or new, they never moved, and they never had dust on them. It was perfect. And no one, absolutely no one, was allowed in there on any circumstances. And so one night, a few of us were at Matt's house, and his parents weren't home. And someone in our group of friends came up with the idea to use the perfect room. And Matt said that if we did, it couldn't be anything rowdy. It's like leave no trace. You know, when you go camping, you leave no trace. He was like, if we're going to use this, it has to look like we were not in there. If we were going to go in there, we could only talk. That was the rule. And so for some reason, that night, I think it was a Friday, we all agreed that we would go in, very dignified, and then sit around the room in the, in the, in the perfect couch, in the perfect chairs. And for some reason, we all decided that we would go around the room and say one thing we didn't like about the other person. I have no idea why. That was someone's Brilliant idea, I guess. And so we would all go around and say something that we didn't like about the person sitting next to us. It was kind of like an intervention, but directed at everyone for no apparent reason. 
other than to do something in the perfect room. And one by one, we all went around the room saying things we didn't like about each other. And this went on for a few hours. And the tone of the room went from somber to anger towards one another. And it wasn't fun anymore. Things went from bad to worse when one of the guys said something that crossed the line. Shut up, one would say. After throwing an insult, you shut up, the other person would say. And then it happened. Pillows went flying. Trinkets, little glass trinkets, went flying, hitting the wall, exploding. Bodies and fists went flying in the perfect room. We were in full-blown WrestleMania, jumping off the couch onto each other, pile-driving each other on the floor. That's what it had become in the perfect room. And we were all friends. We fought physically for 30 minutes in the perfect room. And the room was trashed. It's not funny. (laughs) We all ended up getting tired from uh, fighting when someone stopped. And it was like like mid-punch. Like ready to throw another punch, holding, holding someone by the scruff of their shirt. And he said, what the heck are we doing? <laughs> and it was like a light one on and everyone paused mid-fight. Some, some holding each other just to, just to kind of process what was going on in the perfect room. And we all came to our senses and realized that we had just annihilated Matt's perfect room. Matt's family's perfect room. And we slowly backed off of each other and looked around the room and began picking up the pieces and trying to put everything back the way that it was. And admittedly, we got pretty good at it. The only casualties were a few of those glass trinkets that hit the wall that could not be put back together. And so we shoved them down into the cracks of the couch (laughs) so that they couldn't be found. That That was our hope. And the tension raised, and after the cleaning happened, someone said... Let's do that again, but let's do only, like, let's say only nice things. And so we all stood up, and we began uh, shaking each other's hands in a a very dignified way, going around the room saying as nice as things as we could in order to salvage the last few hours. We all tried to get into Matt's good books as a way of kind of saying sorry for destroying his parents' perfect room. And none of us were really sure, after, after we kind of apologized, we weren't really sure, like, where we stood. We were all friends, but we weren't really sure where we stood with Matt. And none of us knew really where to sit down when we were going to say nice things. Because we just weren't sure how Matt saw us now. Because if we sat too close to Matt, we ran the risk of seeming too important. Seeming like we're best friends and that we're kind of... This is okay. And if we, um, if we sit too far away from Matt, we run the risk of seeming like we weren't, we weren't friends. And this posed a pretty big dilemma for all of us because we all thought we were friends and we didn't know where we sat with Matt, literally. And Matt sort of figured this out quickly for us. Get out of my house, he said. <laughs> 
And so we all left that night with the tails between our legs, and we remained friends after that, but we never, ever entered the perfect room ever again. So I tell you that story because in Arab traditions, there's a room in Arab houses called the majlis. In many traditional Arab homes, this room is designated solely for hospitality. And these are usually at the front of the house with a separate entrance so that when it's being used, others in the house won't be disturbed, kind of like the perfect room. The majlis is simply a room where usually men would talk through issues of the day and just spend time together. And once inside the room, it's customary to greet the host who usually sits in the center of the room farthest away from the door. And as you approach the host, he will stand and all the guests will stand as one. And after you've greeted the host, all the guests go in a a big circle and they greet each other. And if it's a large majlis or a large gathering, which can hold up to 100 people, this can take time. And it's visitor after visitor, and a lot of time is spent standing and waiting to shake the person's hand who's making their way around the room. And this poses a dilemma for the people in the majlis. And part of the awkwardness of this tradition is knowing where to sit after everyone has been greeted. And there's this unspoken rule about where you sit now. And the rule is simple. The more important you are, you sit closest to the host. And Arabs usually sort this out quickly, and it's usually family that push the guests closer to the host. Modest Arabs will go out of their way to ensure their guests sit close to the host or the, or the sheik in an Arab home. It's kind of like a musical, musical chairs sort of thing. Not really. But there's a lot of shifting that happens to accommodate newcomers. And sometimes it's clear where to go, and other times... If there's someone more important than the host, the host goes to the important person in the middle of the circle and takes them back to have his seat. And then the hosts sit to his right or left. And it's generally the right-hand side that indicates a higher status. And so, what is one to do if there's no indication from the host where to sit? And it's usually desired that a visitor or a newcomer will interact with the host, and it's easiest to have a conversation with him when you're right beside the host. However, this might displace a more important person who usually wants to talk to the host. And this is the dilemma. And guess what? Jesus actually has something to say about this. And I want to read to you um, uh, 11 verses from the Bible about Jesus' solution, about what you do in, a, in this sort of situation when you think you're important to the host and you're not really sure what, you, uh, what, what, your, what your place is in this. This is going to be on the screen. I'm going to read it. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from 
abnormal swelling of his body. And Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So there was and still is a similar practice at the time of Jesus in the village and communities of Palestine. Those who have the least rank sit by the door. And those regarded as elders sit near the center. Sort of a visible demotion takes place when a guest sits near the door. Now, as for Arabs and a majlis, for most, this is just the ebb and flow of the room and how it functions. And after you speak to the host, you slide out of the way and let him speak to the newcomer. And problems arise when someone feels snubbed or thinks they are entitled to a favored seat without invitation. Last week, I mentioned uh, this priest, Andrew Thompson, living in uh, the United Arab Emirates. And he says this, because he's seen this. I confess that if a guest is clearly being pompous or presumptuous, there's a small sense of satisfaction in seeing him ask, to readjust his perceived status. It's interesting. In a culture where one of the marks of your status is indicated literally where you sit, the potential for humiliation is high, whether it's intended or not. And the advice from Jesus is simple. He says, swallow your pride, seek humility, and always sit by the door. No matter who you are or who you think you are, always sit by the door. And I think that logic is so wise. If you have any status assumed or literally the host will move you up, that's just kind of how it works. And in this way, the guest is honored and promoted before the presence of other guests. And that's very affirming to people. And so by always choosing to sit by the door, we know our place, unless the host notices us and asks us to join him or her. And I think this tradition and this practice goes far beyond like a Jewish or Arab practice and tradition. I think it can be applied to any one of us in almost any day circumstances that we can arrive at in our modern day, in our circumstances, and how we live and connect and treat each other. 
Be humble, and you will be honored. Simple. And when I think about my story, about the perfect room, it's interesting to just see how immature that we all went going about this. And there, there was no civility. I mean, I think we, we tried going in, and then we tried to recover that. But doing that, there was no civility. There was no humbling of ourselves. I mean, we went around the room, for goodness sakes, and told each other what we didn't like. Right. There was no knowing our place. And it was a disaster. And I think we can take so much from Jesus' wisdom, not just by how we act hospitalably, hospitalably? Is that even a word? Well, it is now. Toward one another... But even with Jesus himself, in our everyday lives, we can do this. And how we present ourselves to others. And how we serve those around us and how we see ourselves. This really is the last shall be first and the first shall be last situation. But it's not just how we act in a room full of people. It's how we should act every single second and every single day of our lives. With Jesus being the host. I'm going to read one more verse, verses for you. This won't be on the screen just because I added it sort of last. But this is a good chunk from Philippians 2. This kind of wraps it all up. Let me just read it. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. So the wisdom from Jesus is simple when we're interacting with one another. Humble yourselves and consider others better than yourselves. And if you don't know your place, always, always sit by the door. This gives you a chance to be invited. And I love this analogy that we do life together and interact with each other, we should all put ourselves in a place 
where we are all being invited to a place of honor by Jesus, our host. But we have to choose to sit by the door. We just have to. It's a choice that we consciously have to make. No matter who we are, who we think we are, sitting by the door is the right thing to do. Let me finish with this. As you go about your, your week coming up and as you interact with those around you, consider what it looks like to take the lower place of honor and see where God places you after that. Humble yourself and see how God uses that for his purposes. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And consider others better than yourself and wait on the Lord and see where he fits you next. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wisdom of Jesus, for how we consider ourselves. And Father, we thank you that, he is, that Jesus is just a prime example of someone who humbled himself for the sake of humanity. Teach us what it means to be humble. Teach us what it means to, to take a lower place of honor so that we may be invited into seeing how God works in our everyday lives. So we thank you for this wisdom. And Father, we just, we know that taking a lower place of honor and sitting next to the door is difficult because it is a demotion. None of us like demotions. But you call us to do this. so that we can consider others better than ourselves. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.